You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. Good morning. My name is Zach. I'm a pastor here at New Hope. And, um, you know, in the past, I've talked about the movie John Wick. I've talked about Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights. And so I thought to myself, what's one more inappropriate movie reference, right? Um, anybody seen The Life of Brian? It's a Monty Python movie. You don't have to raise your hand, but you can. Um, yeah, don't watch it. It's not, it's not okay. Uh, I actually, I think I turned it off after about 10, 15 minutes because I was just like, ooh. Uh, but in that 10, 15 minute window, I saw some, some things that were pretty funny and that were relatively true. Um, to kind of paint the scene for you, there's this guy standing. He's in a town square in Jerusalem and he's, he's prophesying, he's preaching He's a prophet of sorts, and he's developing a following, and there's people kind of gathering around him, and all of a sudden, he kind of just cuts and runs, and he bails out of there, and he's running through like a market kind of area, and there's a guy with a gourd, and the people are chasing after him, and as he passes the guy with the gourd, they mistakenly think that this was the prophet's gourd, and so the girl's like, this is his gourd, and they take off running, and he gets to the outside of town, and he's, he's long gone, but he dropped his sandal. And so they all run up to the sandal and they pick it up. And one guy says, he's given us a shoe. And then the next guy says, let us follow his example and take off one of our shoes and hold the other in the air. And the next guy says, no, 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 no. He says, let us collect all the shoes in abundance. And the girl says, no, no, it's a sign that we're to cast off our shoes and we're to follow the gourd. And then Somebody else says, no, 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 no. What it means is that you're not supposed to pay attention to your feet, but you're supposed to pay attention to things like your face and your head and your mind. And then somebody says, yes, let us follow the sandal. And somebody says, it's not a sandal, it's a shoe. And then somebody else says, take it off, cast it away. Somebody says, put it on. And then they say, let's take the shoes, let's follow him. Zach, what did you learn from that? <laughs> it's true, Right? You got this guy standing in town and he's prophesying, he's preaching. And within minutes, the only thing anybody can think about is a gourd that wasn't even his and his sandal and what it might mean. And so they start arguing and within seconds, they've divided into six denominations of this new religion. Over nothing. Over secondary matters. They've forgotten what he really talked about. This is important because it's totally the church in Corinth. It's 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17 that says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you might be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. 
Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's Peter, by the way. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Well, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yeah, I baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, he goes on to say this, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. How often do we put our faith in human wisdom rather than the power of God? How often? How often do we lean on our own wisdom, our own understanding, rather than the power of God? What I think is happening here in 1 Corinthians is the original denominational divide. You know, it's not so long after Jesus, right? And you got these guys standing around. And I'm sure there's still questions that have gone unanswered. Jesus filled them in on a lot of things, but probably not everything. And so on some of those secondary matters, these guys are starting to go, yeah, well, maybe that's this. Apollos thinks maybe this, but but Peter says, well, maybe this. And Paul says, well, maybe this. And now you've got all these guys that are listening to these teachers going, well, wait, Paul said that? No, Peter said this. Wait, no, Apollo said this. And they start to bicker and they start to divide. And Paul's going, stop. Stop that. You don't follow us, you follow Christ. Why are you getting divided over the secondary issues? Well, here's the thing. Nothing's changed. Not between then and now. Nothing. Do you know how many denominations there are in Christianity? How many Christian denominations? I understand that's a loaded term. How many do you think? Come on. What's that? Thousands? How many thousands? 200? How many thousands? How many? Give me a guess. Come on, somebody. Try me. I'm going to keep doing this. Did you say 45,000? You're a cheater. You were here the first service. (laughs) It's 45,000. All right, Jan. So, yeah, 45,000. Wrap your head around that number. 45,000. And here's my question. How many of those denominations are one minor disagreements difference? One minor disagreements difference. How many? I don't know. There's no number for that. This, that, was, that was a hypothetical question. I'm sorry. I, I was leading you on that. That's my bad. <laughs> what kind of questions cause divisions like this? People say things like, well, what kind of, what kind of fruit was it in the garden? Was it, was it a literal fruit or a figurative fruit? 
Was the earth really created in seven days? Is that literal? Is that figurative? What's that all about? What is the elect? Who is the elect? How does God pick the elect? Does the law still apply? If it does, which ones am I supposed to follow? Can I have a tattoo? Can I eat shellfish? What do I do? How many denominational divisions have taken place over questions like those? How much division, how much disowning has taken place over secondary issues such as those? How many Arminians can't look at a Calvinist and call them brother or sister in Christ? Or vice versa. How many KJV-only people can't look at an NIV person and say, that's my brother or sister in Christ? How much division is wrought over secondary matters? We will divide, distance, and destroy the relationships that we have. And we've done this over secondary issues. Not orthodoxy, not the core of Christianity, Secondary matters. It continues to happen. And all the time I've been here, I can't think of more than one person. And I ran this by Randy first service right before it. And he didn't correct me, so I think I'm right. But all the time I've been here, I can remember one person that came here as a visitor that had not been previously churched somewhere else. Everybody else is part of the holy shuffle. I talk to I talk to other churches, I talk to other pastors, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we, we get visitors all the time, but they just came from somewhere else. And then the people that leave their church will come here, and then some of ours will leave, but they'll go somewhere else, and it happens all the time. And people will divide over the craziest things. When somebody's looking for a new church, they'll say, Well, what's the pastor like? Is he young? Is he old? Is it, is it like a contemporary church? Is it kind of old school? What's the music like? Is it too loud? I don't like too loud. Or what are the lights like? Is it too bright? Is there a cross on the stage? Is there a cross on the ceiling? Is it a big cross? Is it a little cross? Are there too many crosses? I don't like too many crosses. What's the wallpaper like? Do they pray? Do they pray enough? Do they not pray enough? What do they pray about? There's a million things that you get all this conjecture over all these disagreements over because we need everything tailor-fitted to our own way. And we will leave church after church until we find the perfect place, but you're going to be going to a lot of churches because churches are made up of very imperfect people. There are no perfect churches. And here's the deal. I'm not picking on people that have left here. I'm sure there's people that have left here over really good reasons. How many didn't is my question. How many have left this church over something silly, over something secondary? More important than that, how many people have left a perfectly good Bible-teaching, Jesus-loving, orthodox-following Christian church over something secondary, over something silly, and then maybe they came here? But how long before they'll just do the same thing here? We're all out to please our, our own wisdom. We're all wise in our own eyes. We all think we've got it figured out. We often wonder, why, well, why don't we do church like this? Then it'd fix all our problems. Problem is all these other people don't have perfect theology like I do. 
They don't see how the system should be laid out perfectly like I do, whether it's a theological matter or it's something minor within the way a church operates. The point is, if it's not an orthodox matter, if it's a secondary matter, that's pride talking. That's pride. And we've reached this point in the sermon, and you're probably going, hey, Zach, um, the slide says Proverbs, and you've talked about 1 Corinthians and the modern church, and we haven't talked about Proverbs. And you're exactly right. We have to address the issue to talk about a solution, to talk about what the Bible says about the heart of this problem, right? And here's the deal. Proverbs has got lots of advice, lots of advice, little snippets, beautiful little snippets, memorizable snippets, and they all make you feel bad, so they work. But I want to read some of them. And by some of them, I mean literally everything Proverbs says about pride. First, Proverbs 8.13 says this, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Proverbs 13.10 says, Where there's strife, there's pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Then you've got, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. And next you've got, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked. This produces sin. The proud and the arrogant person, mocker is his name, behaves with insolent fury. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. In summary, I would like to quote Kendrick Lamar. Sit down, be humble. Don't listen to that song either. It's very bad. But he got that much right. He got that right. Be humble. Humble yourself. Stop being prideful. Stop being arrogant. Stop being wise in your own eyes. Because we're all kind of dumb. The only thing that gets it right is Jesus. And so the question is, how do a bunch of messed up, prideful, arrogant sinners like us deal with this? Because let me tell you, as a pastor, I deal with this constantly. It is my job to sit and listen to people talk about theology. And do you think that I don't spend like six hours every week just arguing with my computer screen going, why do they think that? That's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. I'm right, clearly. Why do they have it all twisted up? We are all guilty of thinking we've got all the answers about Jesus. What do we do? What do we do to stop building up walls and start building bridges? How do we deal with that? Well, I think about Paul. Paul is a pretty smart guy. He's a pretty smart guy. He was, uh, was very educated. He was a Roman citizen and he was a Pharisee. And see, he had access to a lot of education, probably more than all the other apostles. He performed miracles. He had been the recipient of miracles. He talks about being swept up into heaven in a vision. He encountered Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. Paul's got 
lots of knowledge. He's a super smart guy. I'm sure he's got opinions on things. And when he comes to Corinth, what does he say? He said, yeah, I'm smart. I've got a lot to say. I, I, I think I've got a good idea, a good grasp on a lot of this. But when I came to you in Corinth, I chose to know nothing but Christ crucified. That's it. I could have talked about a whole lot of secondary issues with you, but I came to you and I chose to talk to you about Christ crucified. I came to, know, I came to, to talk to you about the fact that Jesus Christ is God. That he is a Trinitarian God. That he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That he lived a perfect life. And that he died on a cross and he raised from the grave and he can raise you from the grave. And if you want that life, if you want to be raised from the grave, and if you want to live today, not just in eternity, then just have faith in him. And if you have faith, then you'll act like you have faith. Your life will reflect that you have faith. That's how you know you have faith. That is what Paul chose to know. Christ and Christ crucified. I know Jesus. I know what he did. Here it is. Everything else secondary. We got to humble ourselves. I look at Jesus. Jesus is God. Right? And he looks at his glory and he sets it aside. And he's born into the earth. And he lives his whole life as a servant to glorify his father and to serve everyone he encounters. He makes himself the lowest of all people willingly. He had the option to take that glory back up whenever he wanted. He could call it quits and say, okay, I'm kind of tired of this. But he didn't. He stuck it out as a humble servant till the bitter end. And here's the deal. If anyone has the right to be proud, it's God. And he chose not to be. He set it aside. He set it aside to become a servant, a humble servant. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to lay down our own wisdom. We've got to lay down our own wants. We've got to stop thinking everything's got to be tailor-fitted to the way I see it. Because all this pride does is it breeds Division. It builds walls up between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And hear me out. We got to call heresy heresy. All right? It exists. There's plenty of cults that exist in this world that claim to be Christianity. But do you know why they're heresy? Do you know why they're wrong? Why they're not Christianity? Because they get the orthodoxy wrong. They get Jesus wrong, and they get the salvation that he brings wrong. That's what makes somebody a heretic. Everything else, secondary. We got to love the people that we disagree with. We are allowed to disagree with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And hear me out, there's going to be denominations because there's going to be differences. But you've got to love each other. And you can even try to convince each other that you're right. But everybody's got a reason why they're right. Remember that. I want to tell you a story about a man named John Wesley and a man named George Whitfield. Now, John Wesley 
was an Arminian and John Whitfield uh, was a Calvinist. Now, if you don't know what those words mean, if you don't know what Arminianism and Calvinism means, we don't have time. But I do advise you to do a quick little Google search and in three weeks when you figured it out, I'd love to talk about it. But there is a ton of disagreement between the Arminians and the Calvinists. In a lot of ways, an Arminian looks at a Calvinist and says, they're on the opposite end of Christianity. They're on the opposite end of Christianity. But here's the deal. Arminians and Calvinists are both Orthodox Christians. They know who Jesus is. They know how we're saved. They disagree on what that looks like behind the scenes. But up front, our job's the same. We got to go confess to everybody that Jesus Christ is Lord and get them saved. We got we to let them know who God is, spread the gospel. The job doesn't change. The view on what happens behind the scenes does. And so these guys are deeply, deeply pitted against each other theologically. But they're friends. In fact, they traveled together. And we can see that they wrote letters to each other. And in their letters, they rebuke each other hard. You're wrong. You are completely wrong about this. This is the way it's spelled out. No, that's not right. If you read these verses, it says this. So this must be it. And it's just back and forth and back and forth. And they both just think the other is so wrong. And one day, John Wesley, one of his fellow Arminians, looks at him and he says, John, do you think that we'll see George in heaven? And John says, no, I don't. And I think that that guy that asked the question, he probably must have been like, man, that's, that's pretty harsh words. He thinks George is going to hell. And John continues and he says, I don't think we're going to see George in heaven because George is going to be so close to the throne of God and you and I are going to be so, so far away that there's not a chance we're going to see George in heaven. That's a guy that theologically does not stand eye to eye with this other man. And he looks at him and he says, you are wrong. Your theology is garbage. Get rid of it. And yet I know that you love Jesus so much more than I do. And you are such a better man than I am. And I can't hold a candle to you. Can you do that with your person you have a disagreement with theologically? Can you do that when you don't see eye to eye with somebody over the Christian religion over secondary matters, over non-orthodox matters? Can you do that? Can we lay down our pride and look at somebody and go, yeah, we don't see eye to eye, but you're my brother. You're my brother and you love Jesus and I want to be with heaven in you one day. I want to be with you in heaven. Can we, can we think that? Can we believe that? That's what we're being called to. And I am so thankful that we have titans of the faith like John Wesley and George Whitfield that can lay down all preconceived notions on how smart they are and how much they get the Bible. And they can go, yeah, but at the end of the day, I know you know Christ. Let the big things be the big things and let the little things be the little things. We are brothers and sisters and we got to start acting like Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, 
feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.